The scripture reading for today is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 32, and it's on page 978 in your pew Bible. Uh, before the scripture is read, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, give us humble, teachable, and obedient hearts that may, we may receive what you have revealed and do what you have commanded. In your holy name we pray, amen. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitter, bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. The word of God for the people of God. We're in a section of Ephesians where Paul is talking about what it means to put on the new self. He's told us we, we don't live like those who um, are apart from God any longer, but now we have a new life in Christ. Knowing who Christ is, we, um, uh, we live into that. So we, we put on a new life in Christ. And, and so uh, we're, over the next few weeks, going to work through this passage where he kind of enumerates things about honesty and, and hard work and not acting out of anger. And so this morning we're going to look at verse 25. Therefore put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. November of 2014, Rolling Stone magazine put out an article written by Sabrina Erdely about the Phi Kappa Psi fraternity at University of Virginia. Some of you will remember this. It was about a uh, fraternity that um, several members, as part of initiation, sexually assaulted a young woman. And the aftermath was um, protest at the university. The fraternity house was vandalized. There was a lot of... Um, uh, rancor and discussion as there would be, the president suspended all fraternities. And then it came out, it was a lie. The writer didn't follow up, overlooked some things. I can remember discussion, it seemed to be about this or maybe a similar one where there was fabrication. Um, where it seemed to be some people overlooking it and saying, yeah, but this sort of thing happens. So maybe this wasn't actually it, but it's still an issue we need to deal with. And so the facts were not a problem. Um, Columbia Journalism Review kind of audited the, the process of how it was edited and said it was a mess, thinly sourced, full of erroneous assumptions, plagued by gaping holes in reporting. 
there were several lawsuits uh, where they were libel and other things were shown to have taken place. <laughs> Sabrina Edderly was said that she was not going to be kept from writing for the magazine. Even though there were other previous stories where similar things had happened and stories um, uh, of other accusations where um, things didn't fit. I don't remember when we started using the word fake news. The word lie works pretty good. We seem to be afraid to call somebody lying. We want to remember that Brian Williams misremembered things about being in a helicopter, having um, missiles fired at him. And when Jason Blair was found to have fabricated stories uh, for the New York Times, his firing <laughs> happened, but there didn't seem to be any question about what, what's, what's going on where this kind of thing continues to happen and people don't say we're wrong. And so it's no wonder that uh, we, well, we obviously know you go to a media outlet on the basis of where your political position is because it's all propaganda. Um, none of it is actually seem to be getting for the truth. It's so much cheaper to buy someone to spend an hour ranting his opinion than sending a reporter on location to actually dig and find truth, but truth is not what we're interested in. Our politicians, um, I mean, I, I do love when you can take a video of politicians over the ages and have them debate themselves, and to be honest, on both sides of the aisle, it, that works pretty well. Um, maybe at one point their hair is a little grayer, but the truth of things seems to depend on which side is in power, under pressure, in a vote. We don't trust our politicians, especially when a congresswoman says, I think there is a lot of people more concerned with being precisely, factually, and semantically correct than being morally right. When moral rights can trump facts, we're in trouble. What's the source of that morality? And this plagues science as well. There's been ongoing issues where... Um, Peer-reviewed journals aren't so stringent as they appear. When you know you, you see an article, they show a picture of somebody in a lab coat, looking very thoughtfully at a vial or test tube or something, and they say the settled science on anything. And the truth is, scientists continue to debate the meaning and interpretation of data. It's frightening how many times peer-reviewed journals experiments can't be replicated. Because science works, but scientists are humans motivated by their own political, financial, career, all these things. I, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist. I trust science. I don't trust people. So last year, when there was discussion of hydroxychloroquine, forgive me for mispronouncing it, um, there were trials. Possibly it could work. There seem to be some thoughts on it. Who knows? The Lancet ran an article um, featuring the number of deaths that were happening. And so the trials that were taking place were all canceled. Later found out that was all based on lies. Complete fabrication. The source that they were getting from was um, a database that was completely fabricated. Now, Please do not hear that as any sort of medical support for any kind of drug. The point was 
lies led to something stopped that may or may not, but should have gone through a process. I don't know where things are now. That's not medical advice. We are streaming on Facebook, after all. <laughs> but Sergisphere lied. And there seemed to have been political motivation to believe those lies. And there are real consequences to lies. Now, I, again, don't know where those are, but even, even whatever the results of those, I talk to so many people who are afraid of things because lies are exposed and they don't know who to trust. And my continual conversation is, where do you even go for truth anymore? You can't trust anyone. So what do we, what do we believe? Well, we could go to Snopes, right? Fact-checking. I, I, I used to do this a lot before preaching a sermon because I heard so much many, well, misrememberings in the pulpit. I used to go to Snopes. Well, last week... Uh, Snopes co-founder um, is being charged with plagiarism. Sixty of their articles were removed. You know, the fact checkers can't tell the truth about who wrote an article. How do you trust them? And they, too, are politically motivated, and they're supported by people who... There's no credibility left. Very little credibility left. And Christians, we should put away falsehood. The church of anyone should be the most honest and most committed to the truth. But unfortunately, when we stand up with the media and science and politicians and all these things, we tend to fare a little better. How many scandals have wrecked Christian leaders and how often the church kind of covers over for them or lets them pass by for a few weeks, maybe a year, puts them back into place. I can remember so many of these, um, and so it no longer shocks to hear on a national level, on a local level, that church leaders lie. I, one of my favorites was Mike Warnke. Um, well, I, I don't guess you have a favorite liar, but... This was one, he was, he was a comedian, a um, Christian comedian who said he was in, um, um, he, he would tell his testimony where he was um, a drug dealer and Satanist, and he talked about satanic abuse that he had seen, and um, then he went to Vietnam and turns out never served in Vietnam, made up all these things that got a bunch of Christians in the 80s scared of Satanist, but it seem to pass because Christians and the church has been too gullible. If someone stands up and they say they're a Christian, we tend to believe it. And, and so, so often, things being told from the pulpit just kind of got passed on. Google ruined a lot of lies for preachers. Good stories, completely fabricated. But anyway, we are told to put away falsehood. And though I know it might be that anyone who says they're evangelical is considered evangelical by um, reporters or by surveyors, in the passing on of false information, it seems to be a lot of evangelicals doing so. Brothers and sisters, we must put away falsehood. We have to put away the lies and the deception. We need to pursue the truth. I love the way he does this. It's not just merely do not bear false witness, but it's the active pursuit of getting rid of falsehood, that we are to put away the falsehood. And so that means 
we need to be of anyone looking for the truth, making sure we're putting away falsehood. That means if we get one of those, um, pass this on, and um, um, Jesus will bless you, emails, Facebook messages that tells things about others that seem unbelievable, we better make sure we have vetted things before we pass it on. It means we need to be testing ourselves because it's so much easier to believe something that confirms my own opinion than to question it. We need to ask, is this so? Is this true? Is this credible? Why am I passing this on? Why am I telling this? We need to be actively putting away the falsehood that surrounds us constantly. It's not just in these things, but we are surrounded by falsehoods in every story we hear in TV shows and movies because they are telling a story that your real joy is going to be found romantic relationship. I mean, isn't, isn't that so many stories? They're, they're, they're telling us constantly that there are others who, who are trying to make you fit their mold and your real freedom is to be yourself and follow your heart. And we need to put away that falsehood and remember that the heart is deceitful above all things. We're constantly being told a story that if we try hard enough and we reach something and we get our goals and then we're successful and, and then we count for something, then we matter. And we need to put away the falsehood. We need to put away the falsehood that what's going to make life matter is the things we own, how much money we have. We need to put away the falsehoods that we're constantly being told about relationships being fulfillment and God in his law has keeping us from being truly fulfilled, that we can pursue whatever makes us happy and we don't listen to his word, that we can set our own idea of reality. We can set our own idea of what's going to make us happy. We need to get away from all of these deceptions that distort the good life, which means it's helpful for us as we watch a show, as we listen to a story, as we find ourselves emotionally pulled to someone doing something we know is sinful, to ask real questions about what's being said, what's, what kind of perception, what kind of um, um, story about God is being told here, what kind of story about ourselves and, and what makes life matter is being told. We need to be questioning the truths, the falsehoods around us. We need to demand truth especially from those within the church, and do what we can to put away falsehood. But it's, it's not enough to just not tell a lie. It's not enough to just put away falsehoods and, and to point out where people are wrong. We're also told to speak truth with our neighbor. That means we need to pursue what's true. We need to speak what's true, not just to not tell a lie, but actually speak the truth. It's a positive command. Story of Confucius. He was put into a position of power. And he was asked, "What uh, was he going to? What was the top priority? What's the first thing he is going to do?" And Confucius said it was to rectify names. It was going to be start using the right names for the right things in the world. This is what one translation puts it from the Analects. If language is not correct, then what is said is not what is meant. If what is said is not what is meant, then what must be done remains undone. If this remains undone, morals and art will deteriorate. If justice goes astray, the people will stand about in helpless confusion. 
Hence, there must be no arbitrariness in what is said. This matters above everything. In other words, when you control words, you set the tone for a debate, for an argument, for a perception of reality. And if we're going to get to being doing what is right, we have to make sure we're using the right words for things. Because the words we use change the way we think about something. They frame the way we perceive something. And for us to buy into words that are assigned to other things, like fake news instead of lies, like affair instead of sin, like justice instead of revenge and anger, we set a framework where we are justifying sinful things and justifying our, our wrongs, and we buy into lies. I mean, I, I've just thought about the way we, um, we accept a word, and it, it, it's, it, it kind of sets the way we think about something. For, for example, when people started using the term gay marriage, just in accepting the term, you've, you've thought of something possible that for thousands of years would never have been considered possible because of the very definition that had been assigned to that from the beginning. When, when we use the term um, someone having a certain privilege, rather than saying this is kind of where they have, what they are and where they, you know, we seem to be already insinuating they're getting something they don't deserve. When we frame things, and using those words, we decide already and concede already part of the reality that is not true. And so when we think about things, we need to be willing to say what is good is good. Righteousness is good. We need to be willing to say something is sin. We need to be, rather than a vice or a piccadillo, we, we call sin, sin because it shows us something about our relationship to God rather than our desires and our longings. Each word we speak is not just an opportunity to speak truth or falsehood. It's an opportunity to choose the path of life you live. If we don't speak the truth, if we go along with a lie, we deceive ourselves. We participate in that deception And part of us, if we do something we know is not right, we speak something we know not to be true, we're less human. We're playing along with a reality we don't agree with. This is why I think we find our freedom in truth. We speak the truth. This is going to become increasingly dangerous. There was a man who lived under um, communist regime. He wrote a story about a grocer. He said this grocer would put up a poster in his shop that said, um, workers of the world unite, something to that effect. And he said the grocer didn't put it up because he believed it. The grocer didn't put it up because he was enthusiastically following with the Communist Party line. Poster was put up because he didn't want his windows smashed in. 
He didn't want people, he wanted to say, I'm a good citizen, I'm not a threat, I'm going along. But in putting it up, even though he didn't agree with it, something was betraying what his true perception of reality is. I, forgive me if everything seems to be going back to sex, but that does seem to be um, the big point that has been thrust upon us in the past century or so. But how many times is a rainbow flag put up, not because someone is enthusiastic celebrating, but because they want to say that I'm, I'm with it, I'm not a bigot, I'm part of the, where society is going. How many times do people put up that little circle in their Facebook thing for whatever issue of the day is because they want to signal not that they really agree with this, but they're not outside of where others are. So often there are things that I imagine taking place because there is a committee meeting where most people disagree with what's being put forward, but one or two are really pushing for it, and no one else wants to bother with the hassle of going against them. No one wants to speak the truth because of what the truth will mean for them. How many times have things happened because people don't speak the truth? And, and it's not only speaking the truth. We, we agree that we're going to speak something else. We're going to be coerced to say things that we don't agree with, that we don't believe, that we do just because everybody else does. We must speak the truth. We do so because we're members of one another. When Paul says we do this, we speak the truth to one another because we're members of one another, isn't that amazing? He, does, he says it's not just something you ought to do. A good person tells the truth. A good person should speak the truth. What he says is for your own good, for your own self-interest, you should speak because you belong to one another. One of our early Christian preachers, John Chrysostom, say that. Chrysostom, harder to pronounce than that drug earlier. He said, would an eye not tell the feet he doesn't see a snake? Would the tongue not tell the stomach that it doesn't taste poison? Would the hand not tell the arm that it's not feeling fire? That, that for the preservation of the body, we have to speak the truth. And doesn't this make sense? If, if the way we grow and the way we mature is we speak truth to one another, where I confess a sin in truth and you forgive it, where I encourage you in your spiritual gifts and to do good, if we have the knowledge of what is true and what God calls us to do, if that's the way we grow and mature up into Christ, which he says is that we speak the truth in love and that's the way we grow and mature and we're formed, to know truth only comes when we speak it to one another. And that means our own growth, our own maturity must depend on being honest with one another. We, we do so, and we do so only with the power of the gospel. That is, only the power of the gospel allows us to be completely honest about our failures, to be completely honest about things that seem to challenge our perception of the world, that, that makes us change our mind. The only way we can do this is have the power of the gospel. Sue Ellen Browder was a writer for Cosmopolitan magazine. She came out with a book a few years ago, Subverted, how uh, the sexual revolution hijacked the feminist revolution. 
She was part of the feminist movement and was talking about in the 70s, 80s, um, the way other things got imported to basic um, civil rights for, for women. And, and she wrote that, um, or, or she's told now how as she wrote for Cosmopolitan magazine, um, how often stories about sexual liberation and uh, stories about what women would do were fabricated. They were lies. They were giving a sense of the world of finding freedom apart from traditional views on relationships, and they were made up. And they seduced people into pursuing a lifestyle that was not pleasing to God. In an interview, I heard her sharing that she said that as you tell lies, you you deceive yourself. You know, there's self-deception involved when you're sharing others. Maybe you have to tell yourself, I'm doing it for their good, or maybe this is the way it really ought to be, but she admitted that many of her stories were lies. But what she said was that after becoming a Christian, she could get rid of the self-deception and she could be honest about things she had written. What she said was when she was forgiven then she could be honest about how bad some of the stuff she did was. And think about it. When, when we lie, aren't we kind of saying, I'm scared of how somebody else is going to perceive me if they know the real me, if they know the truth, if they know who I really am, they're not going to accept me, they're not going to love me, or they're not going to give me the things I need if I'm honest about it. But if the gospel is true, don't you see that a God who knows your worst sin The God who knows the darkest side of you knows it better than you do yourself. And yet he still accepts you and he still loves you. Not because you've deceived him into seeing the best side, but in spite of knowing the truth of our sins, he died and gave himself for you and loves you and welcomes you, not on the basis of who you can be, but on the basis of who you really are. And he doesn't send you away because you're not what you ought to be, but he welcomes you and he embraces you with love. And he says, you're mine. I know who you are and I forgive you. It's the only one in the world who truly accepts us for who we really are and forgives us. And so if if you have that embrace, you can be honest. I can admit my sins to others because the one who judges already knows them and he's wiped them clean and he still accepts me. And if we can do that with one another, if we can say, I know this about you, and that really was bad, but I love you, and you're still part of this family, and you're forgiven, and that we can do that with anyone because we don't have to worry about that condemnation of others, that judgment of others. It's been given over to Christ on the cross. You are welcomed and received and forgiven. Now unto him who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine, be honor and glory and power forever. Amen.